that we began last week. The fruit of the Spirit is the outward indicator that you are, in fact, a Christian. It is through Christ in you, through the Holy Spirit, that confirms your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you are a Christian, the Bible is very clear, you will bear fruit. And we talked about uh, one of the greatest indicators is loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor means you love someone you don't even know. And so I give you a couple of opportunities to do that this morning and in the week to come. Obviously, Hurricane Florence is in everybody's mind, the people on the East Coast, as uh, the rains continue. And so uh, the EPC has established a hurricane relief fund that you can actually go to the EPC website and make a donation there. You can also write a check to First Presbyterian, and we will send that to the EPC. But if you'd like to do it online, you can go to epc.org, which is the Evangelical Presbyterian Church's website, epc.org forward slash emergency relief. And then you can make a donation there. Donations will be sent to the congregations, the EPC churches in the areas affected by the storm. So that way you know exactly what the money will be used for. The other is local. Wednesday night we talked about the tragic death of Kadarius Smith, nine-year-old fourth grader at T.J. Harris's upper campus. His parents are both incarcerated. The family has no insurance to pay for his funeral. And so we're asking churches throughout the community to uh, take up an offering on Kadarius's behalf. And you can make the checks out to First Presbyterian Church or directly to Barry and Gardner Funeral Home. They're the ones handling the arrangements. And uh, just give you those two opportunities to, to share the love of Christ with those that we do not know. But it gives us the opportunities to let the love of Christ flow from this place. And I encourage you in that. Okay, the fruit of the Spirit. This is part two. The fruit of the Spirit is love. My sources are numerous. <laughs> um, an older book, but uh, Fritz Reidenauer, he used to do a lot of uh, commentaries that were kind of fun with uh, artistic drawings. And uh, he did one on First John that I still use. Fr- Fritz Reidenauer, How to Be a Christian Without Being Perfect. A book by Gene Getz. It's also a classic, Building Up One Another. Uh, Bob Deffenbaugh's Studies in Galatians, The Gospel of God and God's Grace. John MacArthur's Studies in Galatians from the MacArthur New Testament Commentary. And Timothy George's commentary called the New American Commentary on Galatians. We'll be reading from Galatians 5, starting at verse 16. Please stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of God. So I say, Paul writes... Walk by the Spirit, capital S, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, Impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, 
hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, gentleness, good kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this, your word. Thank you for the lives that we live, Lord. And as believers in Jesus Christ, thank you for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit in us. So teach us what it means to walk in the spirit, to live by the spirit and not by the flesh. I pray it in Jesus name. Amen. Please be seated. There's a tradition that in the Apostle John's final days, he grew so weak that he actually had to be carried into the body of Christ gatherings, into the worship service. And as the story goes, the people of God would would gather around this wise old disciple simply to hear a word from their beloved leader. And that word was always the same, always the same. Little children love one another. And while everyone in the church held the aged apostle in the highest honor and respect, some got a a little bit tired of always hearing John say the same words. Finally, someone asked him, Master, why do you always speak the same message? And John replied, because it is the Lord's command. And if only this be done, it is enough. John was of the 12 disciples, the one that lived the longest. He died of natural causes. On Wednesday nights, we're studying the revelation, which was the revelation given to John from Jesus while he was banished to the Isle of Patmos. Before that time, John wrote the Gospel of John. And in chapter 13, which begins kind of the beginning of the end for Jesus, there's more written about Jesus's suffering starting in John 13 all the way to the end of the chapter than there really is in the first part of the book. And John 13 is where Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure and sharing with them the love that he has for them. And then he says this to them in John 13, verse 34. He says, a new command I give you, a new command. Now, it really wasn't new because the Old Testament basically says, love your neighbor as yourself. But this was new, what Jesus said. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. And they're going, well, we've heard that before, but they hadn't heard the next words. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says this, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. The word love is used 12 times in John 1 through 12. But in chapters 13 through through 21, 44 times. It's difficult to understand what John was referring to when he said love one another because we we use the word in America so loosely and even in the church. I mean, we love our family. We love our mates. We love our children. We love our parents. We love our brothers and sisters. We also love football. 
We love ice cream. We love a good movie. We also love God. Yet we don't mean the same thing when we say all those things, do we? So we don't speak John's language. In this culture, we have one word to describe our our feelings toward other people and things. While John, John had quite a few words at his disposal. The Greek language, which is the language of the New Testament, used at least four different words to distinguish the different kinds of love. Now, we've talked about this before. Maybe you've heard this before. Uh, If not, it will be new to you. If you have your outline, you might want to jot these Greek words down. The first one is eros, E-R-O-S, eros. This word has primarily to do with self. Eros is self-satisfying love. In fact, our English word erotic comes from this word. The Bible makes it clear that trying to satisfy our need for love solely on eros will only leave us shallow, hollow, empty. So that's not really the word that we're looking for a lot of times. The second word is is storge. It's S-T-O-R-G-E, storge. You might call this family love. Someone has called it the emotional magnet that draws blood relatives together. And according to the Greeks, there is truth in the statement, blood is thicker than water. That's the way it is with storge, though we may disagree, a sense of family binds us together. Third word is philia, P-H-I-L-I-A, philia, the English word like that we use a lot, I I like this, I like that, is similar to this word. And when we speak of philia, we're talking about warm feelings of affection as in a friendship. But the word that, that, that John uses and that Paul uses over and over again is the word agape. A-G-A-P-E. Agape. And this is the term the Bible uses again and again and again in reference to the kind of love that is unique among the other loves that I have mentioned. It is more of a selfless love. It is based on the unconditional commitment to treat others Just as God has treated you. The Bible affirms that when we possess agape love, we treat others in a Christ-like manner because of who we are, not because of who they are. See the difference? Now, here's the problem. As a Christian, there is an ongoing conflict between the person you once were and the person you want to become. Though you have won a decisive victory through an initial encounter with the person of Jesus Christ, and even though you are not the person that you used to be, you and I, we still have a problem. And the problem is, even though we've been set free from the penalty of our sins, you're not yet in heaven. You're not yet in heaven. You still live on this earth. And while you live on this earth, you still have to continue living in this flesh. And the Bible's word for flesh is sarks. It actually means the sinful nature, the sinful nature that we have. So you are always going to be exposed to temptations from that realm of your past, which means if you do not constantly yield yourself to the power of the Holy Spirit, then your flesh will at times yield supremacy over you. So look at my text once again from Galatians 5. Look at verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
So the question is, how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, I may not have a method. I may not have a formula, but I have something even better. I have a secret. I have a secret. And the secret is the mystery of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the secret. Christ in you, Paul wrote. Christ in you, Colossians 1.27 says, the hope of glory. Now, if we go to the next chapter of Colossians to chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him. Continue to live in Him. And before Paul wrote that word, he said the same thing to the Colossians again when he talked about that mystery. So, just because you have Christ inside of you, in the person of the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean that you will never act in a way that betrays your allegiance to Jesus Christ. But if you learn to lean on the Spirit of God within you and walk in the Spirit of God every day, recognizing the fact that you leak. That's not my makeup word. That's a word that was made up by a theologian years ago. We leak. We don't lose the Holy Spirit, but. For some reason, we walk more in the flesh than we do in the spirit. So one way to look at it is the Holy Spirit is diminished in us and we don't walk in the power of the spirit. So all those acts that I read earlier, those those different acts, sinful acts, acts of the flesh. If you give in to the desires of the sinful nature, nature, you will fall victim to any one of them. So starting in verse 19 of the text, he lists. All these different sinful acts, and and I'm going to put them in four broad categories. It was never meant to be an exhaustive list of sins. But let's look at them quickly in four broad categories. The first is immorality. That's the first category, immorality. Sexual immorality comes from the word pornea. And that's the way where we get our English word pornography. So that the word refers to all illicit sexual activity, particularly adultery. What is adultery? Adultery is sex outside of the marriage covenant. In other words, sex with someone other than your marriage partner. Another word, fornication. Fornication is a word that we see in the King James Version occasionally in the New Testament. And that is sex between unmarried people. It's also sexual immorality. And then the word homosexuality, which is sexual behavior between those of the same sex. And then there's prostitution. All those come under the banner of sexual immorality. Impurity is the second term. It basically means unclean. It represents the sense of defilement that accompanies sexual sin. And in terms of its meaning, it stands for the separation from God that accompanies us in being impure in the sight of God. Debauchery, what is debauchery? Well, in the King James Version, it's translated excess. And it would stand for a complete and total lack of restraint, decency, and self-respect. So all of those come under the category of immorality. That's the first category. Second category, religion. Religion. And the two sinful acts mentioned there are idolatry and witchcraft, both of which are actually tied to the practice of the occult. The word for witchcraft is the word pharmakia, from which we get our word pharmacy. And the tie-in here would be to the use of drugs, illegal drugs with occult properties, which is exclusively tied to drug use. 
So that's the second category, religion. And then the third category is relationships. Relationships. And this is where Paul mentions all those things that we think are not that bad. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. All of these behaviors represent a, a total breakdown of relational harmony. And even though they're not as out there as the first two, God's word says they're bad. And then the fourth and final category is carousing. Drunkenness, orgies, the word here is actually the word carousing, are unfortunately twin activities that seem to have gone together since before the beginning of time. Uh, it refers to an activity, a party, for example, where the sole purpose of the party is to get drunk or, and for that to be accompanied by rowdy and crude behavior. So Paul mentions all these specific sins, and then he says this in verse 21. I warn you. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So does that mean that if you've participated in one of the above mentioned behaviors, that you will not go to heaven? No, it does not mean that. The key to understanding this verse is in the phrase, live like this, live like this, which would mean what? It would mean practice. To practice something is to be involved in an ongoing activity. So it is the habitual, ongoing practice of such things that identifies a person as being an unbeliever. And, and that would keep you out of heaven. But if, through the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, you commit yourself to live a very different behavior. What is called the fruit the evidence of the Spirit's work within you. Then Paul says that behavior confirms that Christ is in you. Which means that if you do not bear the fruit of a Christian, then it leaves, it leaves it completely open to speculation as to whether or not you truly are a Christian. All right, with that as a backdrop, fruit is mentioned a number of times in Scripture. To be exact, in the, in the Old Testament, 106 times. In the New Testament, 70 times. But there are two different kinds of fruit that we're talking about. The first is action fruit. The second is attitude fruit. And that's the one, the latter one is the one we're going to focus on today is attitude fruit. And we're going to talk today only about, in the, in the remainder of time together, only about love. So I want to go back to what Jesus said in, in John chapter 13, verse 34. As I have loved you, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. What is Jesus saying there? He wasn't telling us that we ought to love each other. He was telling us how much. Let that sink in. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. We are supposed to treat one another the way that God and Jesus Christ treats us. And so I'm going to turn to 1 John. If you would turn with me to 1 John. John also wrote three epistles in the back of the New Testament. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. 1 John chapter 4, I'll start at verse 9. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
Now, here's a big verse. Verse 12. Listen to this. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. God told Moses, no one may see me and live. That's Exodus 33, verse 20. John wrote in his, his, his gospel that no one had ever seen God, but the, but the Son has made him known. That's John 1, verse 18. And in John 5, verse 37, Jesus said that the Father had sent him because, quote, you have never heard his voice nor seen his form. So we cannot see God, but God is seen in us when we love one another. I mean, that's amazing to me. Isn't it amazing to you? Imperfect as we are, God is working in us so that the world can see who Jesus Christ is. And when the world sees this love, it struggles to understand it. It struggles to understand a love that prays for its enemies, embraces a nobody, forgives 70 times 7, gives without expecting any repayment, returns good for evil, and goes the second mile. Sounds like a good theory, doesn't it? More importantly, how does it work? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. What is that chapter called? The love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. And we'll quickly look at five lessons. Five lessons on love from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Verse 4 says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. First lesson. Love is expressed in time. Love is patient. <laughs> How many of you struggle with patience? Yeah, I had to wait on an oil change the other day for two hours. Two hours. I took a thick commentary book with me. I was finished with that before my oil was changed. Okay. Seriously, I, it took a lot longer than it maybe should have. And so I struggle with patience. I'm sure you do, too. So how do we how do we share patience in love? Well, think about the waiting rooms of life. Marriage. Children. I had a dad say to me one time, he says, you know, my son wants to talk to me and I, I really I, I don't understand what he's talking about. I'm really not that interested in what he's talking about, but I need to, to listen to what he wants to talk to me about. So would you pray for me? Love is expressed in time. Ephesians four and Colossians three puts it this way. Bear with one another in love. Bear with one another in love. You know, another way to put that, put up with one another in love. Put up with one another in love. To bear with each other means to be patient with each other's weaknesses. Still, how can you do this? By remembering that not a single one of us is perfect. That all of us fail. That all of us fail particularly in human relationships. 
I like what one writer put it. He said, how easy it is to expect more from other Christians than we expect from ourselves. And in a church where people get to know each other as they should, they also get to know each other's idiosyncrasies. And in the face of this, the biblical challenge is that we love one another, that we bear with one another in love. Love is expressed in time. Love is patient. Number two, love is expressed in caring. Love is expressed in caring. Love is patient. Love is kind. If you're serious about caring for other people in the practical matters of life, that means you're going to have to give it some time and adapt your schedule. If you're going to show kindness, it's going to take your time. It's going to take your concern. Love is kind. Number three, love is expressed in humility. Verse four says, love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Traits like envy and boasting and pride, all of these equal what? Insecurity. Insecurity. The one who is humble has a proper understanding of his or her position before Jesus Christ and before other people. Love is expressed in humility. Four, love is expressed in giving. Verse five says, love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking. Self-seeking would be, you know, you do this for me and I'll do this for you. Tit for tat, right? It's the barter system. The best kind of relationship, though, is the give and give kind, where both parties give. That's why romantic love, and hear me please, married couples, romantic love is so hard to figure out because it's not the fairy tale that the movies make it out to be. A lady once said to me this, if I'm supposed to be Snow White, then how come I got stuck with Dopey instead of the handsome prince? You see, someone can say that because romantic love demands constant attention, whereas real love gives constant attention. C.S. Lewis knew something about love. He married late in life. And when his wife died, it killed him. He wrote this, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. So if you want to be sure of keeping it intact, then you must give your heart to no one. Love is a risk. Love is about giving. And then the final lesson, love is expressed when it acts its way into feelings Feelings. Love rejoices with the truth. And I learned an amazing truth years ago. And that is this. Your actions tremendously impact your feelings. Your actions tremendously impact your feelings. And by the way you act and the decisions you make, you can change the way you feel. For example, have you ever heard someone say, I don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. God has a prescription for lost love. And what is that prescription? Put on love, just like you put on clothes. 
If you're a Christian, that means Christ is in you. The mystery of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is in you. And so quicken the power of the Holy Spirit within you and put on love. And that brings us to our verse of the week, which is Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. And this is the prescription. I hope you'll not only read it here, but take it with you and think about it and pray about it. Let's read it out loud together. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Think about John the Apostle being carried into the gathering of the believers. And of all the things he could tell them that they should do. He came back again and again to one thing. Little children. Love one another. He didn't say feel love for one another. He said love one another. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for teaching us how to love. When you said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for demonstrating your own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. You laid down your life for us. And may we, by your grace, by the power of your spirit within us, repent of our self-focus. And Lord, that they may lead us by your spirit to Focus on the needs of others around us to love one another and to bring glory to you through it. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 358, all three verses of Share His Love. Please stand as we sing.